Good morning once again. And um, if you would, can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 5. If you're new with us, we welcome you. It's good to see you. And just to let you know, we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. As we just said, we're in chapter 5 in a series we've entitled, Jesus Declares His Divinity. Now, this has been a very, very important study. Not the least of which because Jesus said in John 8, 24, if someone does not believe that I am the great I am, he said, you will die in your sins. There is no salvation apart from believing, not that Jesus is a God, not that he is a lesser God than Jehovah God, we must believe that he is the one and only God, second person of the Trinity, God in human form, to be saved. It's what's called essential doctrine. We can disagree on other non-essential doctrines, not affect our whether we go to heaven or not. Uh, we can even be off with regard to some doctrine, like the timing of the rapture. You may think it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. I believe it's going to happen before the tribulation. Of course, I'm right and you're wrong, but you'll find that out <laughs> one of these days. But, you know, okay. Uh, but we can differ on the gifts of the Spirit being around today and still have beautiful fellowship in Jesus. But this one is non-negotiable. You must believe Jesus is God Almighty. Now, it's one thing for John to open up his gospel telling us Jesus is God. And he did. And we believe it because John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in John 5, verses 17 to 30, Jesus himself declares his divinity. In fact, he makes five claims to his own divinity, five claims of equality with God the Father. We've been working our way through this uh, th this outline. First of all, he claimed equality with God in his person. Next, Jesus claims equality with God in his work. Number three, he claimed equality with God in his power over life and death. Number four, in his authority to judge the world. And number five, Jesus claims equality with God in honor. Now, Last time in our study, we were looking at the fourth main point in our outline. Jesus claims equality with God in his authority to judge. And so let's back up one more time to verse 20, where Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And as we said last time in verses 21 and 22, Jesus claimed equality with the Father in his power to raise the dead, and then he coupled it with a claim of equality with the Father in his authority to judge the world. And now, Starting in verse 24 and running through verse 29, he amplifies this truth. He states it, and now he amplifies it. 
And uh, he does so uh, by remarking in greater detail uh, on the resurrection of the dead and coming judgment that he will be involved in. Let's look at verse 24 again. We're still reviewing. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, as we have already said, many have called this section in John's gospel uh, one of the greatest in the Bible for helping people to understand what the Bible teaches about resurrection and the coming judgment. And yet, it's not without some confusion. And the reason for the confusion with regard to what Jesus is saying here about resurrection of the dead and, and all is because there are three different resurrections in view in these verses. One is a spiritual resurrection, and the other two are physical resurrections. And if you miss that, you're going to misinterpret the passage. First of all, we saw in verses 24 to 27, Jesus speaks of the spiritual resurrection of the lost. The lost. And then in verses 28 to the beginning of verse 29, the physical resurrection of believers is next. And then the end of verse 29, he talks about the physical resurrection of unbelievers. Now, I'm not going to review any more than that because we have a lot to cover. You can go online and especially listen to last week, not last week, the last time I was here, a couple weeks ago, um, last study, because we went into this in detail. What I want to focus in on this morning is that final resurrection that Jesus talks about at the end of verse 29, the physical resurrection of unbelievers. This final resurrection is of all unbelievers. Jesus called it the resurrection of condemnation in verse 29. The word condemnation is a Greek word that means judgment, judgment. And in particular, it's speaking of a putative judgment when rendered in a legal court of law. That's the idea. This resurrection is described in Revelation 20, starting with verse 5. In verse 4, the Lord uh, John, the Lord speaking, talks about Jesus' return and how, to the earth after you know, the, the tribulation period to establish his millennial kingdom. And at that time... Old Testament saints and uh, tribulation saints are going to be resurrected to enter into the millennial kingdom and going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. After the thousand years, verse 5 of Revelation 20 says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. That's a very important statement in verse 5. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. He's referring, the Lord Jesus is, to the bodily resurrection of all unbelievers who have ever lived upon the earth. The judgment of unbelievers who will be resurrected to stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment is described in detail in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. And we will study that next week. 
it takes place, this judgment, after the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. So this final judgment doesn't happen until the thousand-year millennial kingdom is completed. These people who are going to be resurrected, they're all unbelievers now, uh, who will be resurrected to, be, to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment, they have been living in a place called Hades all this time, conscious and in torment ever since their physical death, where their body died and was buried, but listen, where their soul or their consciousness went into Hades. Hades, also called Sheol in the Old Testament, same place, is in the center of the earth, is in the center of the earth. It is not the same as hell. Sometimes somebody will direct me to a YouTube video. You can't get, get into any trouble theologically about watching YouTube videos. We all know that. <laughs> so, and some teacher is on there making all kinds of conclusions and teachings based on a passage that is clearly talking about Hades, but he is assuming is referring to hell. Part of the problem is the King James Bible, which I love, translates the words Hades and hell with the single word hell. But they are different places. They are different. You want to know about Hades this week, turn to Luke 16, study verses 19 to 31, because Jesus talks about this place known as Hades. It's in the center of the earth. A place of incarceration. And uh, let me just say this. Hades is divided into two compartments. One is a compartment of torment where unbelievers go. The other is a place of paradise uh, known as Abraham's bosom where all the saints of God, all those who believed in God, the God of Israel and the coming Messiah, um, who died before, before Jesus died in the cross, Moses, Abraham, David, they all went into Hades, but to the paradise side where they were comforted, known as Abraham's bosom. Now, these two compartments are separated by a great gulf, Jesus tells us. Uh, think of the Grand Canyon, so that folks on one side can't get over to the other side and vice versa. When Jesus came to the earth, he talked about having to spend three days in the heart of the earth at one point. Paul talked about, that was Matthew 12, I believe. Paul in Ephesians 4 talked about how that before the Lord ascended back to the Father after he died and rose again, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. That's where Hades is. And he released the captives and led everyone back to heaven when he ascended. You see... David, Moses, Isaiah, and all the other Old Testament saints, they were saved. But they couldn't go to heaven because their sins were not atoned for yet. Their sins weren't paid for. So they had to spend time in this paradise, but a prison, because they couldn't leave. They couldn't go to heaven. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said what? It is finished. The Greek literally is paid in full. And before he rose back to the Father, he went down into Hades, set the captives free. Now, Paul tells us, because we are on this side of the cross, and Jesus has already died for our sins, for a Christian today, when they die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So today, 
Abraham's bosom is empty. Nobody goes there anymore because Jesus set the captives free. And now, as New Testament Christians, when we die, we go immediately. Our spirits, our body goes back into the dirt, uh, the dust. It gets buried. Our soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. Okay? And um, we'll talk about what happens to the body in just a second. But uh, that's, that's Hades. Okay? Again, different from hell. Now, in Revelation 20, verse 6, we read... Blessed and holy is he, or she, of course, who has part in the first resurrection. We talked about this last time. And please do not miss this. And if you weren't here, you, you would be uh, well served to go listen to that message because we talked about what the Bible calls the first resurrection and how it is not a single event. It is a category containing Several different resurrections. We, we, we took you to 1 Corinthians 15, in particular verse 23, where, where Paul the Apostle said that everyone uh, involved in this first resurrection is resurrected in their own order. The Greek is a series of successive resurrections, starting with Jesus Christ, who is the first fruit. He was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. After Jesus... His resurre resurrection, the next resurrection of importance takes place at the time of the rapture, when all the church saints, those who have gotten saved from Pentecost to the time of the rapture, uh, we are resurrected, and we are taken uh, up into heaven where we uh, are seated at the, great, at the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, and we eventually come back with Jesus uh, when he returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. Revelation 19 pictures uh, the Lord Jesus Christ breaking through the clouds uh, and all of his saints on white horses with him with robes of white which speak of our righteousness in Christ now. And we come back to the earth and that's when two more resurrections take place. Go back and listen to the tape, okay? The resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the resurrection of the tribulation saints that the Antichrist uh, martyred. They, these two groups are then resurrected in preparation for all of us going into the millennial kingdom. During the millennial kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, death will be scarce but not really eradicated yet. That won't happen until the eternal state after the millennial kingdom. So there will be some who will die. Some of them will be believers. All right, uh, And we don't know, some theologians believe when a person who knows Christ dies physically in the millennial kingdom, they might instantaneously be resurrected uh, and have their glorified body. We don't know, okay, for sure. But let me just go back to what John said in Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, this category, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests, those who are involved in this first resurrection, who enter into the millennial kingdom. They shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Guys, the second death is referring to the final judgment of all unbelievers in the lake of fire. The final judgment of all unbelievers in the lake of fire. In fact, Revelation 20, verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. So at one point, this, this place called Hades in the center of the earth is actually cast into hell, what the lake of fire is. Now listen to me very carefully, because there's a lot of weird teachings out there 
Uh, go on the internet. You can no, don't go on the internet. Please, I'm sorry, I even said that. Don't don't go on the internet. Okay. But God has promised us in His Word. Stay there. In His Word, that whoever belongs to the first resurrection, again that category, whether Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation period saints, or millennial kingdom saints. Whoever is involved in this first resurrection, God promises all of us that on these folks, the second death has no power. In other words, those involved in the first resurrection will never be cast into hell. And I say that because there are some weird teachings out there that says, okay, you're a Christian and you die and you're resurrect, resurrected at the rapture. you got to go into the millennial kingdom and still prove yourself. Because you know, if you don't prove yourself, you don't live a holy life in the millennial kingdom, you could die and go to hell. People don't read their Bibles, okay? They listen to some goofball teaching false doctrine. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about, so they just parrot that. I, I've said this before. Let me say it again. Don't even take what I teach as gospel. You know, the, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they, they received what Paul had to say. Paul the Apostle. Forget the old Balmire. Paul the Apostle. But they went home and checked it against the Word of God to make sure everything Paul was teaching them was true. That's what you got to do with every teacher, okay? Every teacher. Go back and make sure that what I teach or anybody else teaches that you're listening to, make sure it lines up with the Word of God. That You always do that, okay? But um, we know that anyone who takes part in the first resurrection, so if you were to die before the rapture, and we pray that we all make it until the rapture, right? Uh, but if you were to die, and then the rapture happens and the Lord resurrects your physical bodies, what what it is right because our soul and spirit are in heaven with the lord rejoicing but god made us a triune being wants to keep us a triune being and so when our physical body is resurrected as believers it is glorified instantaneously and you know what rejoined to our soul and spirit and now we are perfect redemption is complete then right now we're redeemed but not fully read romans 8 we're still waiting for the redemption of our body, where we get that glorified body and we are, never get sick or never get tired or hungry and we don't ever die again. That's coming. We look forward to that, okay? But uh, if you are a part of the first resurrection, you will never, ever be cast into hell. Now, you know, I, I, we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about hell. Oh, goody. And I just was talking to somebody before first service, and they were saying how that uh, they, they, they know a lot of pastors who won't talk on things negative things like hell and judgment and sin because they want to keep it real positive and want to fill seats and don't want to scare people away. Obviously, you're, not, you're at the wrong church if that's where you're coming from because <laughs> we're going to talk the rest of this morning about hell, and I'll tell you why we're going to talk about hell. So hang in there, okay? But uh, just to kind of set the rest of the message up, I was reading an article a couple weeks ago before we went on vacation written by a Wall Street Journal columnist who claimed that the idea of a place called hell, listen, has outlived its usefulness. The writer contends that hell was an invention of man and adopted by the Christian church to scare people into heaven while further using it to control their lives here on the earth. You know, they say a lot of it was because, you know, to help the church, you know, you 
you, 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 you buy mass cards, you do certain things to get other family members out of purgatory, but you do these works to keep yourself out of hell. So the church, and rightly so, the church has used uh, hell to uh, try to scare people into submission, try to control their lives on the earth through fear, okay? And uh, this, this author said, uh, was popular and effective during, you know, medieval Christianity times, when people were, you know, unenlightened simpletons and superstitious fools. However, he went on to say, modern society is enlightened and has outgrown the notion of scaring people with the threat of future damnation in hell. This journalist, and we all know how infallible journalists are, okay, but this journalist claims that we need to, you know, jettison the idea of a place called hell in favor of a kinder, gentler version of Christianity that chooses to focus rather on God's love and his mercy rather than scaring folks with the idea of an eternal place of torment. The Bible is very clear that hell is real and that it is eternal. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Revelation 14, verse 11. talks about those who get cast into the lake of fire. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Guys, the idea of a literal place called hell, where there will be eternal torment, is not a popular idea, especially in this day and age. People don't want to hear it. Uh, just a real unpopular idea with most people in our culture. And uh, they ask, and maybe you've heard this, how can a God of love? You say, Christians say your God's a God of love. How can a God of love allow people he created in his image to suffer eternal torment in hell? And so because people can't get their minds around that concept, how God could be a God of love and still send people to hell forever that's so horrific in their mind, they can't get their mind around it, that they um, fall into one of three categories uh, with regard to hell. First of all, they ignore it by denying its existence, okay? And no doubt, and more and more people in our culture are claiming that hell isn't real. Uh, it's, it's just not real. They're, they're sticking their heads in the sand. They don't, they don't believe it. They, they, won't, they refuse to believe it. In fact, uh, I've seen several surveys on this. The most recent one I saw when they went out asking people what they believed uh, about heaven and hell, um, those people that believed that those two places or at least one of them existed, 76% of people asked said they believe in heaven. Only 6% said they believe in hell. Now, those of us who believe in God and in heaven, well, anyone who believes in God in our culture, the God of the Bible, uh, and heaven that is a real place, they all want to go to heaven, right? Nobody wants to go to hell. And because of that, and, and because many people don't want to adjust the way they're living, uh, they just write hell off and it doesn't exist. That's the first way people deal with it. Second way is they try to get around it with doctrines like annihilationism and uh, universalism. Uh, you know, um, annihilationism basically teaches that 
uh, when a, a sinner gets cast into the lake of fire, when they hit the flames, they uh, are incinerated and go out of existence. So there's no eternal suffering. They just cease to exist. And, of course, universalism believes that in the end, um, pretty much everyone makes it to heaven. And what about all that tough talk that God gave us about hell and, you know, not going to hell and, you know, that... God's a softy, they say. You know, he talks tough, like you parents. You know, you threatened your kids when they were little. They were bad. I'm not, we're not going to Disneyland, okay? Uh, well, you were going to take them to Disney. You know that. You just wanted to scare them into obedience, that kind of thing, right? And God does that, they say. You know, he talks tough, but in the end, everyone goes to heaven. He's a God in love. He can't send anybody to hell. Some even believe even the devil gets to go to heaven at the, in the end. Now, folks, both of these are rooted in wishful thinking, not in biblical truth. And then number three, this is a very common one, how people get around hell. They joke about it. They joke about it. You've heard maybe some unbelievers say something to this effect. I'd rather be partying in hell with all my friends than bored in heaven with all those hypocrites. Ten years ago, Cindy and I spent some time in the Cayman Islands for our 30th anniversary. And we actually stayed on Grand Cayman Island, uh, where there is actually a town called Hell on Grand Cayman Island. It's kind of a novelty thing, okay? Uh, people of the town get a lot of mileage out of it. It's kind of good for tourism. Everyone wants to visit Hell, you know, tell their friends. I, we didn't go there, but I'm just, I went online to check it out. I knew it was there. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction, Okay. Everyone wants to visit hell and tell their friends they've been to hell. Uh, they sell t-shirts that say things like, let's all party in hell, go to hell, I live in hell, I've been to hell and back. You get the idea, okay? Look, the devil loves it when people joke about hell and not take it seriously. But the Bible tells us that hell is real, and folks, it is no joke. It is no joke. As we have said before, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. In fact, he talked about it more than he talked about heaven or even love. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ talked so much about hell. And when he talked about it, he was warning people to adjust their lives so they wouldn't spend eternity there. He talked so much about hell because he didn't want anyone to go there. That is not the heart of God to send someone to hell. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 18 how God is pleading with Israel, wayward, apostate, unbelieving Israel. And he's pleading with them through the prophet Ezekiel. He's saying, turn, please turn from your sin. Why will you die? I get no pleasure out of the death of the wicked. I don't get any pleasure out of sending anyone to hell. God is pleading with people, then and now. Why will you go to hell? My son paid the price. There, nobody has to go to hell. Why will you go to hell? Why will you love your sins so much for 30 or 40 or 50 or even 70 years and lose eternity? What a fool, Jesus said. What would a man give in exchange for eternity? Nothing. Nothing is worth your eternal soul with regard to hell. Again, he often talked about hell in the same passage and even in the same verse we read in matthew 25 verse 46 
And these, talking about unbelievers, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Again, Matthew 25, verse 46. Look, in that verse, not only did the Lord Jesus talk about both heaven and hell in the same sentence, he said they were both eternal. What is hell? What is hell? Well, hell is a place of perpetual burning. The Greek word is Gehenna, which really comes out of the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, uh, words Gehinnom, Gehinnom, which means the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was a deep, narrow valley to the south of Jerusalem where idolatrous Jews offered their little baby infants to the god Molech, who was the god of pleasure. Molech was created out of bronze, a metal that could be heated red hot. It was, uh, it was created with its arms extended and placed into a fire pit. Then fire was lit at the base, and the fires eventually caused this molten image of Molech to glow red hot. And then in these pagan rituals that they had fallen into, where they were, uh, were uh, uh, probably um, intoxicated in some way with some substance, um, but they danced and gyrated in such a way as they worked themselves into an altered state of consciousness while the music was blaring and the drums were pounding and people were screaming. And it all reached a crescendo when they would take their infant children and one by one lay them in the arms of Molech where the children were burned to death sacrificing their children to the God of pleasure. They believed this would guarantee them lives of success and prosperity and good fortune. Later on, I think it was King Josiah, who was a good king, outlawed the practice. And this valley became the city dump where the dead bodies of animals, criminals, and all kinds of garbage was dumped and burned with a fire that was never quenched because the refuse never ended. And of course, what, that part that was not on fire usually was infested with worms because of all the dead carcasses. And so in the process of time, this place became a fitting image of the place of everlasting fire and destruction known as hell, Gehenna, a place where the wretched refuse of humanity who refused to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we're all born defiled sinners, all of us. The only difference between me and another defiled sinner is I have received Christ in my life. It's not me. There's no goodness in me that would cause God to bring me to heaven. The difference between a saved person and a person who goes to hell is we have received God's truth, God's gospel. We have received Christ. Whereas unbelievers have refused. They want nothing to do with God oftentimes. And so, because they wanted nothing to do with God in life, he wants nothing to do with them after their death. And so, they could have been saved. The Bible says, Jesus, you know, the Bible says, all who, Jesus himself said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest. The Bible says whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. 
but many will not call on the name of the Lord, and so they are eventually dumped, this wretched, defiled refuse of humanity, dumped into the lake of fire, where they will endure perpetual fires of judgment forever and ever. Again, Jesus believed that hell was real and eternal. In fact, he stated three times in Mark 9 that hell was a place where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. That was just his way of saying or, or teaching on the eternality of hell and that those who are cast into the fires of hell uh, never die. The fires are never quenched because the carcass is never consumed and the worm never dies in the sense that there's a continual uh, decaying and burning and purging which never takes place because only the blood of Christ can purge us from our sins. Just as I said, as I spoke earlier, Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament. Here's an interesting fact. Of the 12 times the word Gehenna appears in the New Testament, you know how many times Jesus spoke of it? 11 times. So 11 out of 12 times, hell is mentioned, Jesus mentioned it. The other one is James 3.6. You can look that up. And so, guys, hell, also known as the lake of fire, is a place of separation from God. Located in the outer darkness. Hades is in the center of the earth. Hell is in the outer darkness. How do we know that? Because uh, Matthew 8.12, uh, Matthew 22.13, Matthew 25.30 tells us that hell is located somewhere uh, in the outer darkness, probably a place in the universe so remote that no light reaches it. I had somebody say to me, well, if it's on fire, the lake of fire, that gives light. There's going to be light there. No. When I was doing my revelation study, I was reading, one of the commentaries I was reading was by Henry Morris, a very devout, godly Christian who's with the Lord now, who was also a legitimate scientist. And Morris made the point by saying, not all fire gives off light. There are fires that burn of substances that are burning, but you don't see any light. That's the kind of fire that's going to characterize the lake of fire. It will be on fire, but there'll be no light. This is going to be in the outer darkness. And all the ungodly will someday be sent there to experience the righteous judgment of God. didn't have to be. They didn't receive Christ's gift. And so they will experience forever the righteous judgment of God for all the ungodly, sinful, wicked things they did in the earth that could have been a, that were atoned for by Christ, but they didn't receive the atonement. They rejected Christ. Look, all sin is considered to be a crime against a holy God. And guys, these crimes, all sin, must be paid for. And if a person won't receive payment through the blood of Christ, which he shed on Calvary's cross for their sins, then they will have to pay for their own sins. And again, that will take eternity. They will have to endure fires of hell for eternity as a punishment for their sin. Just quickly, how could a God of love create a place like hell to send people to? I'm going to say these quickly because we don't have much time. But you'll hear this. How could a God of love create a place like hell to send people to? First of all, Matthew 25, 41 tells us that God did not create hell for man. God created hell for the devil and his angels. It was never God's intention to, send, to, to have a place called hell for mankind. But if a person wants to follow the devil in his rebellion against God, that person will follow the devil all the way to his place, final place of torment, hell. God respects our free will. 
And if a person wants to exercise their free will and rebellion against God all their lives, they can do that. But they will suffer the eternal consequences. Number two, God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. Let's just get that uh, on record. In Romans 2, why don't you turn there? Romans 2, starting with verse 5. Paul is talking now to unbelievers. He's turned his attention to unbelievers. Romans 2, verse 5. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 8, he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who listen, listen, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Hey, it's your choice. Don't blame God if you go to hell. God did not want you to go to hell. God did everything in his power to keep you from going to hell by sending his son to pay your debt and my debt. Years ago, I found a little thing uh, in uh, somewhere, uh, a true story about a couple of guys talking, one a believer, the other an unbeliever, on the train on their way to work. And uh, as the Christian was kind of witnessing to this guy, the guy comes back and says, oh, you preachers make me sick, a fellow said to a witnessing Christian on the train one day. The Christian assured him that he wasn't a preacher. I don't care what you are. You Christians are always talking about a man going to hell because Adam sinned. No, the Christian said, you need not go to hell because Adam sinned. You will go to hell because you refuse the remedy provided for Adam's sin. Don't keep complaining about something that has absolutely been taken care of. If you go to hell, you will go over the broken body of Jesus Christ who died to keep you out, end quote. Guys, nobody goes to hell by chance. They go to hell by choice. And I know people say, oh, that's ridiculous. Nobody would choose to go to hell. Well, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're what? Against me. We were all born against God. Children of wrath. At enmity with God. It's only when we receive Christ that we make peace with God. And the Lord comes into our hearts and takes up residence. If you're not for Jesus, then you're in Adam. And in Adam all die. And number three, God is love. But he is also a righteous and just God. Yes, he's love. But he's also a righteous and just God. You can't divide God up and take the attributes you like and reject everything you don't like. God is who he is. You take God as a whole, as who he is in his entirety. Because if not, you're deceiving yourself. In Genesis 18, verse 25, you don't have to turn there. Abraham called God the righteous judge of all the earth. Look. God has to punish sin or else he will no longer be the righteous judge of the whole earth. The problem today, guys, and we've talked about this, is that so many people in our culture have become jaded by all the immorality and godlessness going on around them to the point where they no longer think sin is a big deal. If they even believe it exists at all. They hear you Christians talking about sin, they snicker. They laugh. Oh, how antiquated. How naive, how stupid you are. To believe in sin don't haven't you evolved beyond that don't you know there is no right or wrong your truth is your truth my truth is my truth we're all just taking different roads to get to the same place 
And because people take a very lax attitude towards sin today, here's where they make a fatal mistake. They believe it's no, sin is no big deal to God either. You know, they're, they're laughing at it. And because God doesn't send a lightning bolt from heaven every time they sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that, you know, then, you know, then it must not be a big deal to God. He doesn't really care how we live down here. But the psalmist said, make no mistake about it, God is angry with the, Psalm 7, God is angry with the wicked every day. It's only his love and mercy that keeps him from destroying people on the spot when they sin. But there is a day coming, the psalmist said, when he's going to sharpen his sword, he is going to take out his arrows, and he's going to bring judgment to this world and all the Christ rejectors, all the God haters. They will be judged. Right now, God is restraining his wrath by his great love and mercy, just like Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, not willing that any should perish in hell, but that all should be brought to repentance. And yet the anger of God is, against sin is growing day by day, like a volcano building up pressure. And one day, guys, it's going to erupt. It's going to erupt. And then his wrath against sin will no longer be restrained. It will be released. And you can read Revelation chapter 6 to 19, which talks about God finally pouring out his wrath on this Christ-rejecting world. And then as we're going to study next week, we'll see uh, their final day in court in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Let me just end by saying this. Most people will hear something like this and they will comfort themselves immediately in God's love. They'll wrap them, I've seen this over, they'll wrap themselves in the, in the idea of God's love and they will say, I don't believe God is going to send anyone to hell because God is love. And they're basing everything, all their hope for escaping judgment in hell on the idea that because God is love, he will not punish Sinners, you won't send anyone to hell, really. Well, maybe the Hitlers and the Stalins and the uh, other brutal dictators and mass murderers, but certainly not a good person like me. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I think I'm good enough to get into heaven someday. Well, you know, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says pretty much everyone thinks they're a good person. They did a survey among prisoners, true story. Every one of them thought they were good people. Every one of them. We can all justify what we do. And, and in the end, give ourselves a passing grade. It's just that Paul said in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is sinless perfection. None of us can say we've lived lives of sinless perfection. And if you have not lived a life of sinless perfection, and only one person I know has done that, Jesus, well, then the wages, Romans 6.23, the wages for sin is death in the lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's where we want to end this morning. Talking about hell. An eternal place of weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. And as I said this before, let me say it again. Why is there so much torment in hell? I believe part of that is going to be because people will, for all eternity, realize they didn't have to be there. They didn't have to be there. Why didn't I listen to that crazy Christian I work with? Kept giving me tracks on my desk every morning. I ripped them up laughing at this guy. 
God's love can't save us. God's love has never saved anybody from hell. What God's love did was provide a way by which we might be saved. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That's what God did. He provided a way. Jesus, I'm the way. Truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except for me. That's God's part. Only God could have done that. My part, that whoever believes in him should not perish in hell, but have everlasting life. And uh, innate in the idea of believing is committing your life to Christ. Not just believing facts with your head, committing your life to Christ. That's how you biblically believe, to the point of commitment. Look, let me just say it again, we'll close. God did not create you for hell. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the life I've lived. I don't care. I'm not minimizing the life you've lived. I'm just saying you have done no sin. In the Bible, God's forgiven murderers. People that have done things way worse than any of you have done, I'm convinced. The Bible says no matter what you've done, God's love and mercy and grace through his son Jesus Christ will forgive you. God didn't make you for hell. He made you to spend eternity with him in heaven. You have to decide where you're going to spend eternity. You ha but don't blame God if you wind up in hell. Don't blame God. Because he did everything in his power to keep you from hell. Even sending his son to be tortured and murdered that you and I might have eternal life. So may God give us grace as we continue with these uplifting messages uh, next week. Oh, hopefully some of it's uplifting. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. And we make a little bit light of this subject, Lord, but we know it's no laughing matter. And we thank you that you have redeemed us, you have saved us from the fires of hell, and have made us your children forever. We praise you, Lord, and thank you. Now give us grace, Lord to tell others of the great salvation from judgment that you have provided through your Son if they will only give their, repent of their sins and give their hearts to you, their lives to you, that you might save them. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.